Oda, 30 feet away. Jumper in the air. He's got it! Lamar Odom has won it for Rhode Island! In traffic, off-balance shot. Thank you! Jared Terrell in Rhode Island has done it in the final five seconds on a circus shot from Jared Terrell. A career-high night for him and a victory for Rhode Island. Look it up, Dutton. Run out, Rowdy, look out, Oh, steal by Vance Russell off of Young. Three. Don't do it to him like that, Vance. Dribbles into the forecourt. Iverson going up. He ducks it home as the buzzer sounds. And Rowdy, the 8-10 champs. Hello, Rowdy Nation, and welcome to another episode of the Rowdy Baseline. Join me with my co-host Gary as we take you through an action-packed week of roadie hoops and A10 news. And we all hope that you guys are staying warm in this crazy polar vortex we got going on, huh Gary? I'm just saying, I am freezing cold. Like it, I, I don't know what it is, I, I, I feel like I'm in Antarctica. It's like negative six outside. It's snow on the ground. I, I'm, I'm all done. I'm all done. I'm ready for summer. I feel like we're up in Olean. Only New York had us being Bonnie's fans, being tortured. But that's besides the point. Yeah, I got negative 13 windchill tomorrow. Nothing like a good old Rody Hoots podcast to get me through it. I, I agree with you. Uh, if you found our podcast, you know where you are. But do make sure to follow us, facebook.com slash Baseline on Twitter at Rody Baseline. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star rating. Uh, and thank you to everyone who listened to last week's episode. Uh, we broke a new record in streams for last week, so shout out to you guys for that uh, with having Stone Freeman on the episode. Uh, we got another guest coming up very shortly that we'll be announcing on our Twitter on Sunday for you. So be prepared for that. But yes, we got a lot to go over in today's episode. Uh, two games against Fordham at home and then away at LaSalle. Uh, and then a lot of A10 news to go over. A lot of updates have, have come out. And then two big game previews with Dayton and VCU coming up, respectfully. So uh, let's uh, let's jump into the first hey, game. Gary, you can't forget my hot take there, oh, man. Oh, this my, is, my goodness. I forgot. Today's is going to be a doozy. <laughs> I forgot. And also Andrew's hot take on this episode. Uh, so let's jump into the first game. Rody uh, played Fordham, which was a makeup game. Uh, that was replacing the George Washington game that was uh, canceled as George Washington was on a pause and is still on a pause uh, with URI having Fordham coming to the Ryan Center and moving up that game. Uh, and I'm just going to be honest with you guys, it, it it wasn't pretty. It really wasn't pretty. And I'm sure it wasn't pretty from URI perspective. And we'll get into it later in the in the around the A-10, but it also wasn't pretty for Jeff Newbar either because as it turned out, it was his last game at Fordham, but... That's besides the point. Yeah, URI was lucky. They were down at the half, 28-23. to 23, The first time that Fordham had had a lead in a game at the half, but URI locked down on defense, held Fordham to 14 points in the second half, and was able to pull away with a 50-42 to 42 win. Like Gary said, wasn't pretty. It was, it was, it was, a, it was a barn burner, slow, slow-moving game. 16 turnovers from URI. The shooting was abysmal in the first half and got a little bit better in the second half, but all around it was just it was just one of those Sunday afternoon games at the Ryan Center that you just got to get through. And luckily, oh, and we forget that Fats Russell was out of this game due to an injury, core muscles, so they held him out as a precaution. But 
outside of that, it was just another game. Jeremy Shepard stepped up, 16 points, 9 rebounds. Ishmael Leggett got his first start with 12 points and 7 rebounds. Outside of that, everybody just didn't. They, URI just did enough to win the game and got out of the Ryan Center on Sunday with a win. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, the, the biggest problem that URI had, and it shouldn't surprise anyone, was was getting the flow correct, right? Uh, just having uh, fluidity in the offense, which was very difficult with having Fats Russell out. Uh, and nothing against Ish- Ishmael, but I just think that it was a little tougher. And unfortunately for him, he did uh, get some early foul trouble and put himself back on the bench, which just meant that URI just had to, you know, figure out and get uh, sources from other players to come in. And Ishmael just played great, played well like he has been all year. Ishmael is, like we've said numerous times, he's going to be a star eventually, and he's just taking his lumps, having those freshman moments. But still, Ishmael played a great game. If it wasn't for Ishmael, he, we wouldn't have won that game. Um, once again, they went nine, URI went 9-10 deep. Um, turnovers, 16 turnovers. Fordham had 11 Luckily, URI was able to stem that and score and hold v- or hold Fordham not to scoring on their turnovers. But URI, URI did well in the paint. They did well in second chance points. They outscored Fordham thirteen to six on the second chance points. The I think the big I think the the big thing the big stat you can take away is the rebounding. URI had forty seven rebounds. Fordham had twenty nine rebounds. You're gonna win a lot of games when you when you almost get 20 more rebounds than the opposing team. That was a great to see that the rebounding was able to uh, finally becoming one of URI's strengths. Yeah, URI ended up uh, closing the game on a 13-2 run uh, to finish to to take the win in Kingston, uh, 52-42, and definitely a must-win game for URI. Uh, a Fordham loss, as we've seen in the past, uh, would have been crushing to this team. Uh, with already a couple losses on their belt. So luckily URI gets out of the Ryan Center with a, you know, not, it wasn't pretty, uh, but a 52-42 win at the Ryan Center on Sunday afternoon. Uh, and then na- and then heading uh, over to uh, me and Andrew's uh, favorite, uh, one of favorite places that we've been, uh, the Tom Gola Arena. I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> say favorite is the... Right, word. if you like swimming and you like the smell of chlorine, then maybe it's your favorite spot. But nah, it it was it was a bet. URI this was prop. It wasn't the best game URI played, but if it's if it's correct for me to say, it was their most complete game. If that makes sense, Gary, that they played yep, all year. I definitely agree. Like so, URI they started off a little iffy going back and forth, but they were able to settle down. They played like a veteran team that they are, and they took control of that game by the end of the by the end of the half. I know in the second half it got a little close, but honestly, I wasn't really worried once URI got up six or seven in the first half. They ended up winning seventy three to sixty. URI just that was they knew that they had to. They couldn't let that. They couldn't. They couldn't lose to LaSalle. They stepped up. They played like the veteran team they are. It wasn't pretty at times, but they powered through it. It was a big homecoming game for Alan Bertrand and Fats Russell. They got the dub that we needed them to get. The spread, the scoring was spread out. They had four, they had three guys over ten points. Jeremy Shepard played out of his mind, shooting five of six. And for all those who watched the game, Jeremy Sha- Jeremy Shepard was pow pow all night long. Only the people who watch. Only the people who watched that terrible, terrible broadcast would understand. You you know what, Andrew? I I I'm gonna squeeze it in. I just I just want to do this, and and people know this, right? Jeremy Shepard for three equals. Pow! 
But yes, uh, it, believe me, I'm like, and, and that's one thing I want to bring up, Andrew. The uh, the broadcast regarding this game from ESPN Plus, and I don't know if it's just if if the blames on ESPN Plus or the blames more on LaSalle. It's it's not on ESPN Plus. It's more on LaSalle because we we know it from a URI perspective. Our broadcasts on ESPN Plus have never been an issue. Shout out to the Harrington School of Communications on having everything ready in the Ryan Center, having anything ready. I, I, we should have known when they had shot clock issues that there was going to be problems. That that broadcast was pitiful. I remember calling you, Gary, a few times, like, I can't hear this. Like, it was bad. And I don't blame, like, the com- the play, I felt bad for the play-by-play guy. Oh, yeah. And I just want to say, I had the sound bar, like, at the highest level. And I still couldn't hear the commentary. It sounded like mumbling. And, and it, you know, I don't know what it was. Like, they they couldn't get the audio right. And anytime that they went to commercial and they'd come back from commercial, the audio would be, like, three levels low. Like, it, it's unacceptable, especially with us having to pay for that. Like, just monthly. I mean, I know you you and me both have, like, the, the ESPN Plus, Disney Plus, Bundle, Hulu, whatever thing. But still, like, it's unacceptable. I, hopefully that's the, the I, I would say that's the worst broadcast we've seen all year. Um, hopefully we don't have to deal with it too much more. It makes me f- feel better that the the Harrington School has ours covered. Here's an idea. ESPN should hire URI just to go to all the schools, but that's besides the point. But, yeah, let's get back to the game. URI shot the best that they've shot from three-pointer all year. They shot Shot fifty seven percent from the from the three point land, fifty six percent from the field goal line. So they were on from offense, defense. They locked it down, giving up only sixty points. That's that was great to see. But Andrew, Andrew I want to bring up one big point though. They had twenty. LaSalle had twenty seven points off turnovers though, which is yeah, unacceptable. The turnovers, which leads me into some like the interior defense in the first half and occasionally in the second half was ridiculous i noticed a few times that lasalle got so easy so many easy buckets and dunks it was bad and you or i got lucky the turnovers again killed us jalen carey had a few terrible turnovers in the first half they had 19 turnovers fats had three jermaine had three alan bertrand had three i know alan bertrand had a few bad ones in the first couple minutes that cox took him out and put ishmael leggett in and ishmael went and turned it went and turned it over but that that's just, that's what you need to do when they turn it over bad to teach them a lesson just pull them right out of the game but that was it was uh, it was honestly good to see that the coaching staff saw the turnovers and was crazy about it and another thing we do need to point out Gary that is a very interesting thing they did say it was injury related but I'm not I don't know how much I necessarily believe it minutes wise Jermaine Harris only played 2 minutes that game Jalen Carey only played 4 Jalen Carey had a couple turnovers, came out of the game, and we didn't see him again. I know he did roll his ankle, but he did play a couple more minutes after that. Jermaine Harris only played two minutes. He was one of two from the field, but I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's finally Coach Cox cutting down the lineup, realizing that DJ, Ishmael, Malik, and the starters are what's going to get it done this year. And obviously Jermaine and Jalen Carey, at some point, we're going to play a bigger role on this team. But if this was finally the changing of the guard, and this is the rotation we're going to see the rest of the way, I am A-OK with that. So so here's my thing, right? If, if that's the case, which is which is fine. If it was injury, it was injury, right? Like, we're not going to know that. Like, it probably was injury-related, right? 
But I think that it's going to open up a lot more eyes in thinking that maybe we should be shortening down this rotation. Now, I'm not saying that you 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 don't keep them, right? Obviously, if someone gets into foul trouble and you have to put them in, that's a different story, right? I think that that's going to put a bug in David Cox's ear uh, to kind of, you know, take a look at the lineup and maybe shorten that rotation a little bit. And, and you know what? Like, I know that they're trying to get everything all together and trying to figure out what works. But that second half without Jalen Carey and uh, Jermaine Harris made a huge difference. It made a huge difference in this team. Oh, absolutely. And you could see that the team the team knew you had the eight guys. They knew that they were going to play that way. They knew who they were playing with. It, the chemistry was there. The one thing I will say is I get having to build the chemistry leading into next year, leading into the rest of the season and all that stuff. And injuries can happen. You'll need them. You can't be working on fundamentals at this point in the season. I, I get, like, if you want any shot at making a March Madness run or an NIT run, you got to stop worrying about the fundamentals. You take the guys who are picking up the playbook. You take the guys who are knocking down shots. You go out there. You win every single game. The time for making lineups work is done. You have eight guys who played well together in 90% of a game. Take those eight guys, ride or die with them, worry about Jermaine and Jalen Carey in the offseason, Go get yourself an A-10 championship. Because my personal opinion, the way Mikael Mitchell's playing, there's no other big man in the A-10 that's going to take him down. Fats Russell and Jeremy Shepard are in their senior year of college basketball. They couldn't come back. They could not come back. They're going to do everything in their power to try and will this team to another A-10 championship. You take these eight guys, you ride or die them, you go to the end with them, and you worry about feelings afterwards. Because you know Jalen Carey can't transfer again. Yeah, I I mean... It, it, there's going to come to a point, right? Like where, where we're going to talk about this a little bit later on in our game previews, but you know, the schedule is not getting easier. It's not those, those cup, those easier games have passed us already. It doesn't get easier. Like we, we've played, we we've played these, the teams that we, you know, we've already gotten the Fordham game out of the way. LaSalle, you know, St. Joe's. And now you're going to start looking at the Dayton's, the VCU's, the St. Louis. Like, it's just not going to get easier. And if you can't figure out the rotation, you're going to have a big problem coming up, and it's not going to bode well for you. We're going to drop, end up being somewhere like a 6 or a 7, if not lower, which I hate saying, um, and then having a tougher time going up the wall in the A-10 tournament, which is not going to benefit anybody, especially this team. I completely agree. I mean, as much as I love seeing teams progress, it's it's February 1st, give or take a day or two. Team needs to get their head out of their ass. It's smart. It's the two best months in college basketball. Take the eight, charge forward, beg for forgiveness later. Yep. So uh, to close out, URI does get the win uh, in uh, Philly, Pennsylvania, uh, 73-60 against LaSalle, uh, going 2-0 for the two games that we cover in this episode, uh, which is great for them. Putting URI at 9-8 and for the season and six, and f- six wins, eight, four losses in the Atlantic 10. Uh, so, you know, better looking uh, look for these Rams uh, and two big wins that they needed to come out. Uh, but with that, it is now time for a jam packed around the 810 segment. Andrew, there's so much to go over. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, the A-10 had a busy week. I remember texting you a few days ago like, huh, the a is pretty quiet this week. And boy, did. Woj bombs left and right, if you know what we're talking about. Okay, let's jump right on into it. Your players of the week are Kellen Grady from Davidson, and your rookie of the week is Chad Baker from Duquesne University. 
Shout out to URI women's freshman Catherine Cairns for 22 points, 6 of 9 from 3 against the Bionics, which led her to be naming the women's basketball rookie of the week. And your URI women have won five of their last six games. And Shout out to them. Shout out to them. Duquesne has been posting all week on their Twitter about their new fancy-looking arena, which can't wait to get down there and check it out. Uh, I'm just... Andrew, Andrew, did you see those pictures? This arena is beautiful. Like it's an arena and a practice facility all in one. It is, it is phenomenal. So I, I know we, I, I know we made fun of them for for playing in that crappy high school gym or whatever the heck you want to call it, but their arena looks beautiful and they should be very proud of it. I hope they get to play at least like one of the games this year in it, but I don't think so. I think it's not ready, not fully ready. If I was Duquesne, I wouldn't play in it. Uh. We're going to jump into our weekly COVID pause updates. You have GW still on a pause. UMass went on pause. St. Louis got ranked again. And they are finally back from their COVID pause. And you know what they go and do once they come back? They lose to Dayton. So, they will probably not be ranked next week. Yeah, And also on pause is Davidson University. Guess Steph Curry can't shoot them out of that one. And your, as we get close into February, this is one thing I'm going to add to the uh, news around the A-10. Your top eight in a bubble watch from Joe Lenardi. Your A-10 has the Bonnies in first, followed by Davidson, VCU, Richmond, UMass, Dayton, URI, and George Mason. Uh, your bubble watch has Joe Lenardi has the Bonnies as our automatic qualifier at its, as a 12 seed. St. Louis as an at-large as a 7 seed. I'm sure that'll fall after their loss. Richmond is in the first four out. VCU is in the next four out. And I'm also going to add the local teams besides URI until URI gets in the bubble. Joe Lonari has Providence as a first four out. And he has Bryant as an automatic qualifier from the NEC as a 14 seed. So a lot happening on the That's uh, – I'm, I'm just saying, I if – I know we want URI to make it, but if Bryant makes it in the NCAA tournament, I'm going to be cheering so hard for them. Like that team is he, he they're doing so well over there in uh, in Smithfield. So I just oh man, an, imagine a 14 seed Bryant. That'd be awesome. And another them. little nugget for Bryant before we get into it: Bryant's coach had a press conference today. He announced that their two leading seniors are going to take their sixth, their fifth year of eligibility that the NCAA is giving all seniors this year. So. Bryant, it's going to be scary good next year. But they might not have their coach, Jared Garasso, because Fordham fired Jeff Neubauer this week after losing to URI. And apparently Jared Garasso is on is on the short list for that job with his New York ties. He used to be an interim at Iona, and then he got the Bryant job. But I've told Gary this, if I'm Garasso, I'm sorry if I'm getting his name wrong, I wouldn't leave. You don't leave Bryant and everything you're doing to go to Fordham. Because nope. Nope. Absolutely not. Need, and I know we've been pushing it off, but we're going to have the talk right now. Because after Neubauer got fired, Matt Norlander tweeted some interesting stuff that I'm going to read off to you right now. The Fordham Rams have been the A-10 since 1995. That's 25 years. That's my entire life, okay? They have won no more than 18 games in a season. They've been over 500 just twice in those 25 years. Their league record is 10304. Their overall record is 239 and 502 losses. Their average Kempom ranking is 218. That is not a that is not an A10 team and that is not 
a Division One basketball team. The Fordham Rams, seriously, need, before they even hire a coach, they need to take a serious look at their program because it is a disaster up there in the Bronx. And you got to feel for the city because when all the teams in New York are doing well, that's great for the city. But yeah, I mean that uh, that tweet today was uh, was a was a big one. It was very eye opening. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. the The forum conversation has happened multiple times, Andrew. the The thing that stinks is it's still not going to change unless somebody decides that it needs to change. But I I don't I don't know I I think that uh I think that's a we could, we could take a whole episode talking about Ford Manager I'm just saying a whole episode and here we go hold on to your hats boys and girls the A10 has officially announced where the A10 tournament will be happening and there's a lot of information to go along with it so pay attention grab out your notebooks if you're gonna brave your way down there get your hotels and your Plane tickets ready because we are going to drumroll, drum please. please. Richmond, Virginia. And for all those who think that we're going to be playing just at VCU, na na na, the Richmond Spiders and VCU Rams will be co-hosting this tournament. And to keep it on going, the, okay, so follow me along here. The Wednesday opening round games will be played at Richmond. The Thursday and Friday games will be split between Richmond and VCU to allow for spaced out game times and cleaning areas. The semifinal and finals games will be played at the Richmond Robin Center, and that is because the women are playing at VCU, so they wanted to give each team a championship and a final. Um, the location of the second round and quarterfinal games will be announced when championship seating is announced because the A-10 commissioners and athletic directors have all agreed that they do not want VCU and Richmond playing on their home floors until the semifinals and finals. I still don't think that's going to work, though. Like, I, I know that VCU, like, what if, like, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to say it, but what if VCU and Richmond are playing each other in the, in the, in the like, on the Friday games? Like in the quarterfinal. Well, I think that's where they're that's where they're gonna try and figure it out. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see how the seating goes, um, which leads into seating because the there are issues obviously that not all the teams are gonna take into effect. That not all teams are gonna be playing eighteen games in the conference schedule. So the A ten announced that they're gonna come up with a final seating formula and hopefully have it announced by next week which will lead us into a discussion after we get through the rest of this. The To qualify for the A-10 tournament, you have to play 12 games, and to play in the NCAA tournament, you have to have played 13. So that could be an issue with some teams who don't get to 12 teams. All 14 teams are, require, are obligated to play in the tournament. To drop out of the tournament, it requires a waiver. Even if it's COVID-related or a team feels like no matter what happens, they'll be in the tournament um each game is going to allow 250 fans no i'm assuming that it is going to be all family members so so i one nugget that i you know because me and andrew have been talking about this all day since the news got announced um because we decided to hold off on recording our podcast uh waiting for the official announcement from the a10 right so virginia allows 250 fans Certain VCU boosters right now are paying a minimum of twenty four grand a seat to secure access to go to those games. 
So you can only imagine, uh, Bernard McGlade, the commissioner of the A-10, uh, said that available tickets are going to be distributed to student athletes, coaches, and their families first, followed by corporate partners. So if you are thinking of making your way down there, you probably won't be able to get in. And that's the way it should be. The families should be able to get to see their get their kids play first, and that's and I'm completely okay with that. I'll sit at home. I'll sit. Gary and I will go into a parking lot. We'll socially distance. We'll have a few brewskis watching you or I win an A-10 championship. Once we figure out what parking lot we're going to be in there, we'll tweet it out. You guys can all come on down and join us. It'll be it'll be the Ryan Center. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll, we'll tweet. We'll be we'll be in uh, at Plains Road if anyone's looking for us. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. We'll stop at Imagine. We'll stop at B Dubs. We'll get some wings. But the last little nugget that we did want to throw in, we wanted to give a shout-out to four schools that spent the time to submit proposals that, all according, were amazing proposals, but Richmond just made too much sense. So we're going to shout-out Dayton, Duquesne, George Mason, St. Louis for giving out their proposals. And with that, that wraps up the news around the A-10. That was a, that was a doozy one. Andrew, that was a that was a big one, but 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 it was a lot of information. We wanted to give you guys all the information on the A10 tournament because obviously that's a, a big deal coming up. But it did it did bring up an, a couple of interesting topics that we wanted to talk about. The first one being how they are coming up with a seating formula for the tournament, which is very. It, I'm going to be very interested to see how it happens because there's going to be a very variance of teams with certain amount of games, and I know. My personal opinion, it shouldn't be based on which team, like the Big Ten did with football. It shouldn't be based on your team's chances of making the playoffs and all that stuff. It should be based on how many games you played. Hell, if Fordham played 18 games and nobody else played 18 games, they should be rewarded for that. URI has played, and I'm just speaking because we're URI fans, URI hasn't had a pause. They've played all their conferences. I'm not. I'm. I'm so knocking on wood now. I can't. Don't. Anytime anyone says it, I just gasp and hold my breath. The Andrew. teams. The teams that haven't had pauses or have, get the chance to play all 18 of their games should be. That should count in the formula. I'm not saying if St. Louis plays tw- 12 games, goes 12 and 0, that should count for something. And URI plays 18 and goes 9 and 9. There needs to be some sort of formula variance, which I just feel like the teams who play more games need to be that those games need to be valued more. So, so that's a good point, Andrew. But that also brings up something else that I want to bring up. Right, it, in the end, if if a team, St. Louis is not a great example, right, because they've been on a pause and hasn't haven't played a lot of games, right. But let's pretend that St. Louis didn't play didn't go on a pause right and they've played a bunch of games and they're guaranteed to be a lock in the tournament right so they're on the list like on Lenardi's list whatever it is right the biggest point that I want to point out is the A-10 is making steps to prevent teams from from opting out without filling out a form and it has to get approval from the A-10 right but what is the NCAA going to do regarding these teams that don't want to play there's a big conversation going around right now with teams like Gonzaga Michigan is another one as well, where they could be locks in the tournament, automatic you know automatic bids so to say, and they're ref- they're going to refuse to go to their conference tournaments because they don't want to get COVID, and they'd rather play less games. I think that's going to be I think that's going to be an issue for your teams. I think that's more of an issue for your teams who aren't near the top of their conferences because I'm willing to bet how I'm sure this isn't the only conference that's going to be moving their tournament doing it like this, and the way that the timing of the regular season ending, 
these teams are going to be put going to be required to be in Virginia on the Saturday before the tournament starts to get testing and all that stuff. And I think a big thing that's going to play into this and teams trying to opt out is the financial aspect. If you're Fordham, if you're if your teams the St. Joe's, if your teams at the bottom of your conference, like in the Big Ten, if you're Nebraska, the ACC, if you're Boston College, Pacific out in the Western Coast, the same conference that Gonzaga's in, are you really gonna want to go out to a con- to a tournament, sit on your keisters, pay for hotels, pay for airfares for five days to play one game and get your derrieres kicked and be back home? That's where I think teams are going to try to figure out a way to opt out of the tournament, and I think that's where you're going to run into an issue. Who knows? I, from a competitive standpoint, it's low. From a business and financial standpoint, it makes all the sense in the world to try and get out of this tournament if you're Fordham. The only thing that concerns me is, and and this is what's also been talked about, and it, it benefits teams like URI, and realistically, right? But they're more concerned about, well, what does it mean if there's like a bid stealer? And they win the tournament and they're not supposed to win the tournament. And then all these bubble teams, so to say, or whatever, teams that are higher in the net, higher in, in whatever, uh, do go through and, and affect it. And they have to figure out who gets in and who doesn't. What's going to be the the formula for that? You know what I mean? Like, I think that uh, it, it, it it's the A-10 is trying to figure out, okay, well, if URI plays 18 games and St. Louis plays 13 games, but URI won five more games. They should be a high, a little higher than them. Like they're going to have to figure out something like that. But I still think that the NCAA is going to have to figure something out because I think what's going to happen in the end is it's, it, these teams are going to say, no, I'm not going to play in my conference tournament. But then those teams that decide not to should be bumped down. Like, cool. You don't want to like, like, I, and again, NCAA is not going to bump down a one seed like Gonzaga or Michigan. Really, they're not going to. And I know it's I know it's going to suck, Gary, but more so than ever. Like first things, maybe that's a reason to expand the tournament this year. But that's a whole nother argument for a whole nother conversation that we have planned later in the year. Your argument about these schools bowing out of their conference tournaments and stuff. I think when it comes to the tournament, the NCAA tournament this year. All these big schools are going to make it because it's going to come down to money this year. You're not. It's going to be very hard to find a Cinderella team. They're going to want all the big name schools in the tournament, so that way they can watch the games. Because it's all your games are going to be watched on TV this year, and it sucks that that's what's going to happen. But all the blue buds are going to be there. Your Gonzagas, your Michigans, your Dukes, your Texases, your Floridas. They're all going to be there, and it's going to be very hard to find a. Cinderella's team this year. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a weird one. So we'll have to see what happens. But uh, let's jump into the game previews for the week. Two big games coming up for URI. Coming there, I don't even know what to say, Andrew. These games, I would I want to call them must wins because they are, but they are gonna be a doozy. I think it's a must split week, if you will, Gary. Saturday at 4 o'clock on CBS CBS Sports Network, the Rhode Island Rams are traveling to Dayton, Ohio and playing the Dayton Flyers. But don't you worry, Obi Toppin ain't anywhere near Dayton, Ohio right now. (laughs) So URI has a shot. They have a shot. Not a very good shot, but they have a shot. Dayton is 9-4 overall, 5-3 in conference play. They've played Mississippi State and Old Miss. They beat them both. 
and conference play has been up and down for them. They did lose to Fordham. Um, big guns. They got a lot of big guns up there in, uh, up there in Dayton. They got, how many is it? They have one, two, three, four, five guys who score over 10 points a game. Um, Jalen Crutcher, Ibby Watson are the two that make that team tick. Jalen Crutcher, this should tell you every. Jalen Crutcher and Ibby Watson should this should tell you everything you need to know. They averaged thirty nine and thirty eight and a half minutes combined, or respectively. Crutcher shoots fifty two percent from the field, forty five percent from the three. Ibby shoots forty four percent from the three. They go nine ten deep, just like URI. Um, they don't turn the ball over rarely very much. They average about 14 turnovers a game. That's a little higher than I expected. Um, they get out rebounded barely by a half a rebound. They shoot 37% from three point land. They shoot 74% from the field. They average 68 points a game, give up 65. Dayton's a solid team. They're nowhere near as good as they were last year, but they're still a solid team that could. They've been struggling of late, but they could definitely steal the A-10 tournament, Gary. And before we get into the rest of this Dayton team, I'm telling you right now, I had Dayton winning the national championship last year before the tournament got canceled. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody had that, but I I do think this Dayton team has changed drastically, but that does not mean that they should be taken lightly. Like, this team has lost to Fordham, but they did go through and beat uh, a St. Louis team that hadn't played in a little while, right? That's not a, a huge, huge win, but it does look good, right? And... Dayton is not someone to look at and say, okay, this is going to be easy. It's not. The game is at Dayton. I mean, obviously, it's not a, a, a packed arena at UD, luckily. So that benefits you all right greatly. But I think this Dayton game is is a huge one. Like, it's going to be something that they need to they need to play maybe the eight-man rotation and, and make, a, make a fight out of it because this Dayton team is definitely uh, – Definitely going to be a challenge for this URI team. Especially when you're going to be playing Dayton for the first time oh, and, and you're going to be playing them in, in another two weeks. So it's going to be good to get a little, hopefully try and steal the one on the road, get a chance to get the one at home and hope for the best. But Jalen Crutcher is playing out of his mind and trying to play himself into the NBA draft. And you got to figure out a way to shut him and, and maybe Watson down. Other than that, you don't stand a chance against Dayton. It's going to be the key, right? Uh, and then and then coming up uh, Wednesday at 7 o'clock, uh, the game on ESPN Plus and Cox Your View. This one's going to be produced by the Harrington School, so you're not going to have to worry uh, with uh, our buddy Stone Freeman on that on this call. Uh, the game against VCU. Uh, we played VCU on the 9th of January, so it's about three weeks ago now uh, with an 83-68 win. But don't think that VCU is not coming for blood. At the Ryan Center. Yeah. You, you said it right, Gary. They don't take very kindly to getting embarrassed on their home floor like they did. And since that URI game, they had a great game against George Washington. Then they slouched, then they blew a big lead against the Bonnies. And then they dismantled Dayton on last Saturday. And then they had their game against UMass postponed. Um, they're slated to play. They have a back-to-back. They're playing LaSalle and Fordham on Saturday and Sunday this week, and then they come up to Kingston on Wednesday, so they're going to be playing. The legs might be a little tired, but VCU, you know the story. Bones Highland, 
Keyshawn Curry, Vince Williams, Stockard, Watkins. They definitely look like they're starting to get into the VCUA like they always do towards the February and March. And like we said, once you get to February and March, it's that time to shut things down, stop worrying about the fundamentals, and just pick up Ws. And that's what VCU has done since the URI game, and it's what they'll try to do Wednesday night at the at the Ryan Center. Yeah, this VCU uh, game, uh, it, it, you know, obviously we did say we, we need URI to go one and one, but it's going to be two tough games. And, and like we said earlier, the schedule does not get easier. Like it does not, right? So we, we play Dayton and VCU, then UMass and St. Louis, and then Davidson and Dayton again. Like it's, it's not going to get easier for this team, and they're going to have to figure it out. I think one interesting thing you have with the VCU game, though, is the fact that you have film on them from this year. And do you have film on them from this year? You'll have a Dayton game that they already played Dayton with, so you'll be able to watch that film. You kind of know the tendencies of this year's VCU team, and you'll be able to – it's – it's going to be, in my personal opinion, just extending off that game that you played against them two weeks ago. It's going to be who can make the better adjustments going into Wednesday night. If VCU can figure out a way to get Bones Highland going, VCU is going to win that game. If URI can keep a way to shut down Bones Highland and get Fats rolling again, URI is going to win that game. It's That's why I love these double matchups. And we got a few of them coming up. And I think the best one's going to be the Dayton one because they're so close together. But I think... I think URI has a very decent shot at winning this game on Wednesday night if they can play like they did and they can adjust better than VCU does. And not for nothing, VCU's schedule is also helping URI because VCU having to play two games back-to-back, have one day to prepare. They're gonna they're probably going to have to rest on Monday. They're going to practice on Tuesday, come out to Rhode Island on Wednesday to have to play. So those legs are going to be nice and tired come Wednesday night. So you or I better come out for the jump, pedal to the metal, finish the game by halftime. That's some COVID scheduling right there, Andrew. So, yes, two games coming up. You or I plays Dayton on Saturday, 4 p.m. on CBS Sports Network, and then VCU Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on Cox Your View for local viewers and ESPN Plus for anybody who is not local. Uh, but with that, that brings us into our final segment of the episode, Andrew's Hot Take. What do we got this week, Andrew? We got an interesting one, Gary. It's a safety one, and it's been pet peeve of mine the last few weeks. And it's not just in the A-10. It's all across all across college basketball. The mask wearing on the bench by the coaches, players, and for the refs that matter has been abysmal. All the players and coaches talk about getting through the season and all that stuff. You're not going to be getting through the season if you keep taking your masks off in timeouts. You keep taking them off to yell at the refs, yelling out plays. like, And the players just sitting on the bench are not wearing their masks. They have them on their chin. Put them over your nose. Wear your masks. And quite frankly, I think the refs need to start calling technical fouls. The NCAA needs to step in. If they're not wearing their masks, they have to leave. It's just, it's getting ridiculous. And you see it with all the COVID pauses happening over the year. And it's going to be, if that's what causes the season not to happen, the players deserve it. And so do the coaches. The coaches need to take responsibility. If you see a player not wearing your mask, yell at them. Wear the mask. We all know it sucks. We've all been doing it since March. 
Get over it. You guys are getting to play the game you guys love. The least you can do is wear a mask when you're not in the game. See, I think it and gets the coaches I, too. I think it gets tough though. And and again, and I'm not trying to defend because I think you should. Everybody should wear a mask. That's not an argument that I want to put out, right? But I also feel like you know these players aren't wearing masks during practice when it's just them and the coaches, right? So they've been around those people, like their close contacts. Like I get it, but you're also well. The you're problem also, is the rules that are coming out. The coaches are supposed to be wearing masks in practice. You know they're not doing that, though. I'm not saying we don't know. We don't see pictures, right? But you know that's not happening. Or it is happening, possibly, with the coaches. I don't know, right? But I think that I understand where it's coming from, right? Maybe the solution, and I don't understand why every time something has to be said, they pull it down and then pull it back up. Pull it down, pull it back up. Like, like that makes no sense. The only person Chris, the only person who's wearing one correctly is Chris Moody with his little talking one that's clear. The best, the best ones are when the coach walks up to the referee wearing the mask, yells at the ref, takes it down, and then starts talking to the ref who's literally two inches away from him. Like, common sense, people. I don't know. I think, I think that that's going to, if they don't figure that out, that could actually hurt them in the long run. Um, but there's also news now where they're talking about, uh, I don't, and again, Take this with a grain of salt. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, Jeff Goodman uh, from Stadium had an interview with the um, the head of the NCAA uh, who said that they were not going to stop the tournament if, if a team went on pause. So don't That's know what that— another argument don't for know, another day. Like, don't know what that what means. They, how, so does that mean, like, say St. Louis gets the automatic bid, they fly out to Indiana? Like, that's a whole other argument for a whole other day if— say St. Louis between when the A-10 tournament ends and the conference tournament, the NCAA tournament starts, if they get COVID pause, does the next automatic qualifier, does the second place team get to take their spot? Or is that an automatic win? Andrew, like, does, Andrew does it make no sense? Believe me. I'm like, they're talking about, they're talking about, te- they're talking about teams flying in and like staying at their conference team location. I honestly think, and I don't want to say it, but I think the NCAA is just making it up where they go and they're going to figure it out when it comes close to time and know exactly what they need to do. That's going to be the only way. So you're telling me, so you're telling me there's still a chance for Murray <laughs> to make it as an at Potentially, right? I mean, but yeah, I think that everybody should be wearing their mask correctly. It goes over your nose. Wear it when you need to. Wear it when it's required. It's not hard to do. That's the way that everybody's going to stay safe, the way that we can keep the season going and, and keep everyone okay so we can continue to watch college basketball and get some March Madness in because, goddamn, I miss it so much. Exactly. Hey, and look at BU. It could be worse. We could all be like Boston University. Their players are required to wear them while they're playing the game. So <laughs> take that. Take that for what it's worth. So if you just have to wear it on the bench, just wear it on the bench. Agreed. But with that, that is the end of episode seven of the Roadie Baseline podcast. Uh, you are right with two games, one game at Dayton. Uh, happening Saturday, 4 p.m. on CBS Sports Network, and then next Wednesday at 7 p.m. Uh, on Cox Yearview and ESPN+. Plus. We will chat with you guys next week, and as always, stay warm and go roadie.